who can fathom the mystery of a seed, so small and delicate, yet powerful enough to split rock, to withstand the elements, to find its way? Sunlight, water, and with time, the smallest transforms into the largest. But without nurture and protection, the harvest will never come. As a nation, we're seeing the effects of academic decline, spiritual suffocation, and cultural decay. ranked 17th in science and 25th in math, and close to 60% of high school graduates fall short of college readiness benchmarks. Schools are struggling. One in four high school students admit to being offered illegal drugs and know of gang activity inside their school. 44% of U.S. adults have left their faith. And with marriage rates at a 100-year low, the institution of marriage has diminished goes on. The Association of Christian Schools International is committed to stemming the tide in developing academically prepared leaders who train young people to be wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ and engage in their churches, communities, and workplaces all around the world. With a focus on academic excellence and spiritual formation, ACSI member schools are some of the best in the world. Did you know that accredited ACSI schools academically outrank other private religious schools in their graduation course requirements? And when compared to public high schools, they rank higher in graduation rates, with those graduates going on to attain more years of higher education. Not only do ACSI schools maintain rigorous academics, they are committed to holistic growth, which means that spiritual formation is at the core of a student's life. The International Carter study found that graduates rank significantly higher than their peers in the areas of respect for authority, moral integrity and character, a long-term life commitment to Jesus Christ and to their church. The results are undeniable. And yet there are thousands of seats that go unfilled in ACSI member schools every year. That's why we invite you to consider Christian education for your child today and help us cultivate the seeds of academic innovation, knowledge, stewardship, and faith for generations to come. Good morning. For the past 22 years, I have had the privilege, not the 22 years being here, but for the past 22 years, it, God rose up Erie First Assembly to start a school that included a daycare and an elementary and that eventually made its way up through high school where we are reaching this Erie community with a biblical foundation. That, what you just saw just a minute ago, is an ACSI promo. It is on their particular site. And it's interesting that some of the statistics we'll talk about in just a minute, but I want to share some of those with you. 
I am absolutely blessed that for the past 15 years, and this is the start of my 16th year in being here, that I am a part of such an organization that believes wholeheartedly in what we do, and that is to, to continue with academic excellence with a biblical foundation. And so it, it, it's been an absolutely great year for us to get started. And I'm incredibly blessed to be able to share some thoughts with you today. Once a year, pastor's given us the privilege of being able to declare sort of an education Sunday. Sometimes it's before school starts, sometimes it's afterwards. In this particular case, it's a couple of weeks for us, and a lot of the schools started this last week. And we want to be able to take at the end of the service, and we're going to honor all educators, not just those that are part of your school. But today I want to share with you not only some interesting thoughts, but I really want to bring the word specifically. So that's what my goal is for the next few minutes to be able to share with you. I don't know if you really fully caught it, but I want to reemphasize it that one of the things that they said in there, that the United States today, today ranks 17th in science and 25th in math globally. We were not always there. We have really slipped. 60% of all graduates, both public and private, fall short of college readiness preparation. 44% of all adults in this country have left their faith. It's interesting, staggering statistics. Now, granted, these are compiled statistics, and every area is a little different. Every region is a little different, and I've seen that. I've had the, the privilege of being able to be involved with administration in schools in a couple of different regions, and I've seen that. And Erie is an absolute wonderful place to be able to be, despite the snow. And that's exactly what they told me when I came 15 years ago, that Erie was always like July. I knew better. And that's okay, and I'm still here. Isn't that great? finally moved into a place that I don't have to snow, uh, shovel snow anymore. But you know, years ago, Thomas Edison made this particular comment. I thought this was uh, fitting. 5% of the people think. 10% of the people think they think. And the other 85% of the people would rather die than think. <laughs> but I have to agree with psychologist Edward de Bono when he made this statement, I think school is the place that thinking should be taught. And I would tend to agree with that. And I will tell you, honestly, and in, 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 in this country and studying what I do, if in fact our entire educational institution was doing what it was supposed to do nationally, there would be no place for private schools. Hey, let me say that again. If our education as a whole did what it was supposed to do, there would be no place for private schools. There are people that have to pay in order to participate in private institution in, another far, in, in a far-reaching. But that's just what we do here at EFCA. And I wanted to be able to say that to you because not all of you participate. Not all of you have kids in a school. Not all of you have chosen to do that. And I'm not saying every child has to be in a private Christian school. Please don't misunderstand me. And uh, I have no problem being able to say that I endorse public educators and what they're doing because it is a mission field, and we talk about that as well. But I will tell you, it's a lifelong process as to what we do here. I can only answer for what God has called us to, to do here, and that is to keep the main thing the main thing, and that it's all about kids. It's not about business. It's not about trying to pack the numbers in. It's about reaching one life at a time and making a difference, and that's what we do. That is precisely what we do. I think the church is also a place that we need to emphasize how important it is to teach thinking, critical thinking. And therefore, I've entitled this particular message, Think About. Now, I know it seems like I dropped you off, that there should be something more that goes with that. But I want you to understand, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Philippians, when he was writing to them, gave tremendous amount of information. 
But in the fourth chapter, in verse 8, it reads like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Boy, I guess that rules out television, doesn't it? Absolutely amazing today, the stuff that we see that's on our media. He goes on to say, but whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You see, we just finished our second week of school, as I mentioned, and every particular year uh, we do our best to put everything that we can into it, and that includes praying for it. I have a tendency, people say to me, so what do you do all summer long? Well, the administrative team, we do everything to get everything ready. We tend to relax about the first part of October because kids haven't quite gotten into trouble just yet, although some do. But as we get the year started and get everything going, we start planning the year in October for the coming year. It takes that long in preparation. And one of those that what we have done around here is we've sought God every year for a specific special verse that we could use as a theme. Last February, I came to our administrative team and I felt like God led me to this particular verse. And so we prayed about it together and we talked about it and they agreed. And so when I was in preparation and asked to be able to share today, I felt like, why not talk about our theme verse? How does that apply to not just schools, but to all of us? It's not only in the word. But here's what he says in here. Think about. Think about what? Think about such things, he said. So what does that mean? To think. We use that term rather loosely. We kind of throw it out there. Examples are this. Think nothing of. Think twice. Think the world of. Think tank. Think back. What are your thoughts? Penny for your thoughts. What was he thinking? That's just to name a few. There's also helps that are out there that help us to think. You know, you can subscribe to Thoughts to Ponder, Thought for the Day, Inspirational Thoughts, Motivational Thoughts, Loving Thoughts, Funny Thoughts. And believe it or not, if you Google it, you can find negative thoughts. It's interesting, though, that when we don't plan our thoughts, we tend to gravitate to the negative. Now, I know I've heard people say that, well, you know, you say something and it just sounds like you're always talking negative. And people will come back with that idea. Well, I'm not negative. I'm, I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. And you know the difference between a pessimist and a realist? A pessimist will say things based on opinion. A realist will base things based on fact. An optimist can do the same thing, can base it on opinion, but basically you should do it based on facts. So I can tell you that unless you take captive your thoughts, we have a tendency to go to the negative. We always think the worst first. It just happens that way. Here's some quotes regarding thinking. There's an awful lot of them out there. I love what Albert Einstein said. He said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking that we used when we created them. Do the same thing over and over, you get the same results. And Sammy Sosa said it this way, for those of you baseball fans, he says, if you had a bad day in baseball, start thinking about it and you'll have 10 more. Because <laughs> that's what happens and that's part of it. And I know you didn't come into church this morning, hopefully, to have to think, but I'm telling you, I'm making you think. We have to watch our thoughts because they become words. We have to watch our words because they become actions. We must watch our actions because they become habits. We must watch our habits because they develop our character. We must watch our character because it determines our destiny. 
So it all starts with our thoughts. So what do we think? I'm glad you asked. On your notes, I've bold the word think. You can circle that, or if you want, if you're one of those that writes in your Bible, go right ahead. Write in your Bible and circle that word think. It's interesting on this one. If you do a little bit of word study, and it, it really kind of helps to pull it together. It's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. Paul is saying, I want you to think. It's an action word. Now, I know it doesn't really matter to you, but let me extrapolate just a little bit. The Greek word for this is logizomai. Can you say that? Logizomai. Yeah, what a, I love saying that word, logizomai. It just sounds like, a, sounds like a code word for something, doesn't it? Kind of like Herkimer. You know? It's just one of those It's just fun to say. Logizomai. You know what that means? It means muse. M-U-S-E, muse. And, and muse actually means to think about something carefully or thoroughly, to reflect on it, to ponder it. Some versions in the Bible will actually use the word he used in their dwell. So you're going to camp out on that. You've probably heard that word muse before because we tend to use it in two different fashions. The first one is kind of Western culture. We love amusement parks, which means not to think, but to be entertained. The other side of it you may not like as much, and that is museums. Museums cause us to think. It's an institution devoted to the procurement, care, study, and display of objects of lasting interest or value. Now, some of you, depending on your knee-jerk reaction, some of you would say, yeah, I like amusement parks. And others would say, no, I like museums. And I'm not asking you to respond to either one. I'm just telling you that what Paul is saying here is that we need to be obsessed with the fact that we need to take time to think and not always to be amused. But here's what happens. In our Western culture today and where we're at, and we're finding out now with many cultures of students that have come over to, to here. We have 19 different countries that have come to the school now. And it's interesting how we interact with some of them and find it different. But in Western culture today, we love to be entertained in almost everything. I think media is a big help, but we tend to worship that. We tend to want to be able to look at something without thinking. They've actually studied our brainwave activity while we watch television. And it is lower than when we're sleeping which means it's a no-brainer, okay? So that's where that comes from. But that's where we tend to be obsessed with. Now, what happens is in Western culture, we translate that into the church and into our spiritual life. Well, you know, Pastor John, reading the Bible is kind of boring, and I don't know how to make it exciting. Well, make it exciting. Now, I will tell you, it's an absolute proven fact that I agree with the fact that what we learn with pleasure, we never forget. And in fact, it's something that needs to happen. If you couple that together, we do that with kids all the time. We make learning fun. But on the other side, not everything has to be fun. I know you, you hate that idea. I'll show my age a little bit. But I can remember when, you know, you go to Toys R Us now and you buy toys for your grandkids. I mean, it's daunting, isn't it? It's un overwhelming is what they have. I remember having to drag out the Tupperware and play on the kitchen floor. That dates us. But I will tell you, when it comes to education, we couple fun with learning. We do field trips around here at the school, as most schools do. And you do that for a couple reasons, then that is to enhance learning. We have two special trips that we do. One of them is a fourth grade trip where we study Pennsylvania history. Yes, we take fourth graders for three days overnight with some of their parents down to Harrisburg, over to, to Philadelphia, and to Lancaster. And we couple fun. Many times those kids will come back and we ask them afterwards, so what was the most exciting part to you? Do you know what they said? Chuck E. Cheese. 
But we couple learning of Chuck E. Cheese along with education of tours of various things. And what's interesting is I'm finding even now that many years later, kids will never forget that trip. We do the same thing with the U.S. history trip when we take eighth graders, seventh and eighth graders this year. And uh, we'll be going to Washington, D.C. for five days, hit Gettysburg, Williamsburg, Jamestown, up to Fort McHenry. We couple all that together, and yes, we have fun. We give them pool time. We do all sorts of games and activities all the way throughout the trip. Why do we do it? Because I don't know about you, but when I grew up, most history teachers were, were baptized in prune juice. <laughs> and and, and, and they, were, they were horrible. And nobody ever loved history. And if you ever said, I'm going to grow up and be a history teacher, people would look at you like, what, are you nuts? My feeling has always been history should be fun. It should be pulled together. The Bible is full of history, and it should be fun. And so what he tells us is, I want you to think about. So now that we know we need to ponder and think, what is it he's telling us to think about? He mentions a number of things, not just one or two here. And, and to the English vernacular, when you read over them, they, you, they're rather quickly, and I challenge you at some point to look into it, do a word study. You want to make your, your Bible study, your personal time a little exciting, you know, pull out a concordance. Nowadays, Google it. I mean, with what we have now, you know, it's, it's amazing what you have. Blue Letter Bible is one of those that's free, and it has a ton of stuff that's on there. But Paul mentions several items here. And, and, and when he does, they apply to kids, they apply to parents, they apply to all of us, men, women, children, period. Look at what he says, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but I'm just going to mention them briefly. He says, whatever's true, meaning sincere, loving the truth, whatever's noble, that means honest, the things that are honorable, whatever's right, that's just, what is acceptable to God and what is approved by him, pure, clean, free from carnality and modest, whatever's lovely, those things that are very good and beautiful. Whatever's admirable, whatever's a good report, he says, sounding well. But that's not the one I want to concentrate on, not these six. And you can mention it, and we do that, and it will be a theme verse throughout this year, and the kids will say that. We even, I found out that after we got ready for teacher's orientation, there, there are two different people that put this whole theme song to a ver- to, to put this whole theme verse to a song. And we kind of, we've played it several times, and I understand elementary is using it in chapel, and the kids will get to know this. I mean, what, what fun way to do that, to think about these activities. But the two that I want to concentrate just a few more minutes on is excellent and praiseworthy. That word excellent, I want you to hear this. It's a virtue that means two things. It means piety and morality. Now, what is piety? Piety is, and we've heard recently, we've just gone through a series about love and how we're to love and all the different facets of love, including self-control and such. Piety is love with our face toward God. In other words, it means a devotion, a desire towards him. And the morality is the true morality, which is love with our face towards man. And what Paul is saying is that when something is excellent, it is both of those at the same time. It is a love for God, which means I am being pious, and it is a love for man, which I am living it out. Isn't it interesting That when Jesus was asked in Matthew's gospel, chapter 22, verse 37, tell us, teacher, what was the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And how does he respond? To love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And he says, but the second is like it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus was giving to them in active demonstration was what Paul referred to as what is excellent. What is excellent means I love God with all my heart and I love man the same way he does. 
at the same time. So he says, I want you to think about what is excellent. Now, you didn't get that from just reading the, the natural. We happen to say when somebody says to you, they come up and say, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing excellent. What does that mean? When in essence, we have a tendency sometimes to put on a facade and maybe I'm really hurting. And maybe I just need to know that somebody truly cares. But what he says is, think about what is excellent. The second one, he says, is what is praiseworthy. Not that we as believers in Jesus should be making man's praise our aim. But, he says, we are to live our life so as to deserve men's praise. Again, I refer to Jesus' comments when he was asked in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, when he was talking on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, to let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify who? Our Father in heaven. Absolutely. And one of the best things, in fact, Scripture tells us in Proverbs that, that we're tested by the praise we receive. How do you respond when somebody says, you did a great job. You look around and you see what, uh, what the maintenance staff has done to this place at times. You look around and you see what, what the teachers are doing in preparation and you see what happens in the classroom. And you want to go up to them and say, man, I noticed that. That is awesome. That is great. And for people to say, oh, no, I didn't really do it. Yes, you did. And he tells us to live our lives in such a way that people would see that and say, you know, you have a gift. And it doesn't mean we stand there and say, well, yeah, I know I did this. Yeah, tell me more. He's saying, live your life in such a way. Think about what is excellent and what is praiseworthy. To live your life in such a way. Now, here's what happens. We get so caught up in the amusement of things that we don't take time to stop and think about the various things he told us. To truly ponder, to give it some thought. And he says to meditate on those. And in fact, Paul also wrote, wrote to Romans when he said at one point, that don't think like the world thinks, that you really should, should be transformed. And so I put it in your notes, Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable, and perfect. We do that by not letting the world tell us how to think. By not sitting in front of, I don't think they call it this anymore, the boob tube or whatever they call it. Now they're flat screen, so we got to come up with something else, right? If you have one of them tube things, boy, you're really dated. It's really bad. They can't even give them away at Salvation Army, okay? But it's, but it's the flat screens that are out there. And when we sit there and we look at that and we say, oh, how many times have you sat in front of that, if you've got cable, don't, don't answer that, but if you happen to have that and you go, man, I've got 200 stations and there's nothing on. I've heard people say that. How is there nothing on? I'll tell you why. Because there's nothing worth thinking about. They tell us, I tried it this week, absolutely made a difference. Studies have shown that you really shouldn't watch television within an hour from the time you go to bed. They say you won't sleep well. All right? I've tried that this week. It's amazing how well I sleep. They were right. To, to, and I'm thinking, it's not a big deal. I just, you just got to catch the news to see what's going on. The same thing happened. A house fire and a burglary every day. <laughs> I know it is. You know, it's, it's what happens around here. And then it's going to snow. They tell us about the weather. Okay? But it's amazing when you stop and think. And so that's my challenge to all of us is that we do that. I love what Zig Ziglar said. I put it in your notes. Positive thinking will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. It's about thinking positive. And then lastly, in verse 9, that second part of that, he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. 
you can circle that word practice. I bold it in your notes. It's a couple things. If you take it as a noun, it means the actual application of an idea, belief, or method as opposed to the theory. If you take it as a verb, it means you're supposed to practice something, perform it, exercise it repeatedly or regularly in order to maintain one's proficiency in it. I love, somebody once said, an ounce of practice is worth more than a ton of preaching. Now, I'm not saying we don't preach, okay? Uh, We've got to have the preaching. It motivates us. It gets us going. But a little bit of practice. Hopefully, we are acting as believers in Jesus, acting a little bit more than our level of obedience, that, that what we're doing is beyond what we've been educated. We've got to put it into practice because if we don't, something happens. Well, you know how we learn something new? There are people that study this stuff. They're, they're weird, but they, they give us all kinds of statistics. In the 1970s, they identified that individual learning models that are out there, there were all sorts of theories that people had, but it seems like most people have landed in on, and the educators will know this, Neil Fleming's VAK model. What is VAK? Visual, auditory, kinesthetic. You know it as see it, say it, and do it. And in order for you to learn something new and to remember it, you've got to do all three. Now, some of you just may be auditory learners. You just want to hear it. You can actually close your eyes in a meeting and just listen and and perceive everything. Those kind of people are fine. There are others who have to see it. If they don't see it themselves, or it's like, don't tell me what to do. Just let me read the manual. I can figure it out. But the majority of us are what we call tactile or kinesthetic. We've got to experience it. We've got to touch it. We've got to, to put it all together. And in order to really remember it, we need all three of those. So if that's the case, everything that we do, they tell us, goes through four quick stages. For instance, let me give you an example on this one. How many of you know how to ride a bicycle? Let me see your hand. Okay. Now, of those that have your hands up, how many of you have, ridden a bi- have not ridden a bicycle within two years? That's what I thought, most of you. All right. But how many of you, if I brought a bicycle in here today, you could get on that thing and you could take off and ride? That's what I thought. How do you know? How do you know? Because you've probably done it. Okay. Did you know that you went through four quick stages to learn that? To learn that? And it applies, and I'm going to use the bicycle because then we're going to translate it over into our spiritual walk and our spiritual lives into what we do and why there's a disconnect and why we don't think. Think of it this way. They say the first thing is, and I didn't come up with these, so somebody else did. They said the first one is what we call unconscious incompetence. Now, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? When we're kids, most every kid that I know of gets a tricycle somewhere right around one, two, three, five, something like that. And then they eventually graduate to a bike with training wheels. That's right. And then at some point, we take the training wheels off. And you don't want to buy a bike that's too big or too small, or you have to buy it again soon. And so you go through all that. Let me tell you something. Here's what's really interesting. There are people, there are some adults who don't know how to ride a bicycle. And do you know that you can get on the internet and find out in theory, how to ride a bicycle in seven steps. They teach you how to balance. They teach you about the pedals and the braking and hills and all that. I'm thinking, really? I could learn how to ride a bike by checking it out on the internet. Not, how did you learn to ride a bike? You practiced it, right. Well, first of all, when you're younger, you have this, you know, uh, unconscious incompetence, which means you didn't know that you didn't know. You didn't know you needed a bicycle. But when you became of age of some sort, you looked around and everybody else had a red rider or had something else, and so you needed to get one. Now you try to ride that bicycle and you fall over. Remember that one? I did that with all my kids. How many times did we run behind and hold it, you know, in order for them to make it? Man, I ran out of breath many times. 
Now we know what we don't know. So we have a conscious incompetence. But what happens is somewhere along the way, somebody teaches you how to do it. They walk it through. You learn, whether it's visual, auditory, or kinesthetic, or all three, and you pull it together. So after some practice, you know that you can do it. You may be a little nervous about riding that bike, but you know you can do it. And as parents, many times we say to the kids, you can do this. You did it before, remember? You can do it. You can even go down there, and you can turn around, and you can come back, and, and, and you can make this. And then we get to that fourth stage that they call the unconscious competence. You don't have to think about it anymore. You get on a bike, you take off and you go. Why does it make it so easy? Because you've applied it. And that's something you're never going to learn and never going to lose learning. All right. In order for that to happen, translate that over and into our walk with the Lord. You know, there are times that when we do those little things, I don't necessarily know. I didn't know that I needed to know what scripture says. And then I come into that understanding and people are telling us and it gets modeled. And I look at that and I go, oh, okay, I'm not sure how to do that. I'm not sure what to do. I'm I'm not sure about my devotional life. I'm not sure about these things, but maybe you're mentored by somebody. And as somebody comes along and says, here's what you do, try this. And for some, oh, you know, if you journal, this will all work. And others, they try to journal and they keep writing down, Mary had a little lamb and I know Jesus loves me too. And they don't know what else to do with that. And, And it just doesn't work for them. And that's okay. But you keep going, you keep trying, and you're mentored. And, as, and after a while, it becomes this unconscious competence to where suddenly you know. And when you go through things, bingo, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brings stuff up. And as we read through the Word, as we memorize God's Word, as we put it in our heart that we wouldn't sin against God, suddenly we don't have to think anymore, we just react. But what Paul says is, I told you what to do. I told you what to think about. I told you the things to spend time on. And then after that, I modeled it. And in verse 9, he goes on from there, and he says, Now, the things that you have learned or received or heard from me and seen in me, put them into practice. He's given us a demonstration. Do you remember that time when Jesus was teaching? In Luke chapter 8, Jesus was teaching in in a group of guys, and, and the disciples, some of them came in and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to see you. You remember Jesus' response? That always bothered me when he said, no, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Almost sounded like a little slap. No, those aren't my parents. That's not my my family. That really wasn't the point. That wasn't what he was trying to get at. He was trying to teach a concept right then when he was in the midst of teaching of saying, look, if you want to be a part of my family, then listen to God's word and do it. Don't just hear it. Put it into practice. Now, if we go out and we just love to have fun without knowing why, if we do the practice without the theory, it becomes what Leonardo da Vinci said, and it's in your notes. He who loves practice without theory is like a sailor who boards a ship without a rudder and compass and then never knows where he may cast. I've met people like that, have you? They're just free-floating. It's all about having fun. No matter what I do, I'm just going to have a good time. Going to just have a party no matter where we go. There's not much substance to it, but it's a lot of fun. What Paul is telling us here and what we take within our school as a theme verse this year is that don't just think, practice, think. Practice, think. That means taking time, pausing, allowing him to really speak to you. But now comes the fun part. And the last part of that, he says, you can circle the word peace, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Pastor John, I'm a little confused there because God says in his word that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. What does he mean by that? Well, again, it's the English translation of it. 
What he's really saying is if you really want the peace of God to be a part of what you're doing, then you'll practice just this. You'll think about the things that are excellent, which means a pious and a morality, a love for God and a love for man. And we've heard people say, oh, you know, when somebody passes on, I've heard them always say, well, he was a good person. Yeah, he was a good person. He tried to do that. But at the same time, Scripture tells us, if you want the peace of God that passes understanding, you will think about the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Paul mentions just the verse before this memory verse in in verse 7, and I did put it in your notes. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You ever wonder what you should be thinking about? Ask him. Ask him. What should I think about? Taking those times to just say, Lord, I'm going to sit to ponder. That's hard to do because we want to be entertained. It's that constant. We want to be uh, moved forward. And I love in sort of wrapping all this up, and we're going to take a minute and we're going to pray for all educators. But Mother Teresa said it this way, let us more and more insist on raising funds of love, of kindness, of understanding, of peace. Money will come if we seek first the kingdom of God. The rest will be given. And that word rest can be taken several different ways. The rest comes from God. Even in the midst of a storm, as we heard it earlier even today, we go through tough times. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have some hard weeks, but it does mean the peace of God that passes understanding will be with us. Nothing catches him by surprise. You see, here at Erie First Christian Academy, we rely upon the Word of God for what we do. And yes, we teach academics. And yes, under my tenure and us being here, we worked hard for a number of years and we maintained. We're in the fifth year of a seven-year accreditation, a dual accreditation with Middle States and with ACSI. And, uh, and that's not an easy thing to do, but it takes an entire staff. And we've got a great group of people, 43 plus people are a part of the daycare through 12th grade that really have felt the call of God to serve in this particular capacity. But everything that we do, we want to do with excellence, meaning we honor God and we honor man, and we do it the best of our ability. Verse 8, when we got these two verses in verse 8 and 9, and I remember sitting with Phil and Betty Lou and talking with them about, you know, for some reason, if, if it's just for me, then so be it. But if you guys are feeling that, it seems like our theme verses for the last 20 years have been in Philippians. <laughs> we almost wonder if we'll ever get out of Philippians, but it's okay. It's a great book to be in. But as we pondered that, and I realized when we started school, I really, it really came crystal clear. Verse 8 is for the student body. Whatsoever things are right, are noble, are pure, are lovely, admirable. But verse 9 was for those of us that serve in the education profession. And my challenge to you as well, whether you're public or private, it doesn't matter. You are a mentor. You're a model. You're looked up to. You're seen that people will see you as an example. What you say, what you do will be caught far more than what you, what you tell them uh, as far as in modeling it. And you cannot, you absolutely cannot do it on your own. If you think you can, you're fooling yourself. You need to stop and ponder and realize you need God's help and we need the support of one another. That's what we do. Our mission, I've also put that on your notes there, is that we as a school here partner with parents to deliver educational excellence in developing a worldview that is distinctively Christian. That's what we do. They pay us to be Christian here. That's the plan. And if we don't put that biblical integration into everything that we do, then we fall short. Does every kid turn out right? I would love to say yes, but it doesn't happen that way. 
You know this thing that we have called Facebook? You get to follow friends. And my wife thinks I'm corny because I have over a thousand friends on there. A lot of them are students. I don't make many comments. And the reason I don't is because I like to see what kids are saying. And they are gut level honest. We've had some of our graduates that have left us that based on what they're posting, I don't think they're serving God today. But you know what I use that as? It's my prayer list. It allows me to pray for them because we did what God called us to do. We can't save them all, but we can save the 255 that are enrolled this year. We can do everything that we can to make sure that we model that and work it through, but we're not alone. There are schools, there are students. I tried to look just for fun for statistics. You know me, I'm a numbers guy. It's kind of stupid. But uh, I, I tried to look and see exactly how many kids are enrolled in school right now. And they give you statistics from, from, from back, but nothing exactly today. We service eight school districts here where we're at. And so we try to connect with those and try to help and do what we can. We're just doing what God's called us to do. Hopefully, coming alongside parents and being able to minister to them and, and, and to, to connect with that. But I want to introduce the staff to you, and I want to ask all of my staff that was able to come. Some of them actually lead worship at their church and could not get out. And I told them it wasn't absolutely mandatory. But, uh, you know, if they want it, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't threaten them. But um, I, I would like to ask, I'm not going to read them all, but I do want, you have a list that's on the back of your outline that's there. I give that to you for a couple reasons. It's not meant as, oh my goodness, look at how big they are, or look at all the stuff they're doing. It's meant to truly be a prayer list. You know how to pray. Pray that God will continue to use us and give us the knowledge and understanding of His will and that we would lead by example. Staff, you can come on up now. <laughs> You're waiting for that. I want, wanted you to, to make your way up. And just stand along here if you would. And uh, not all 43 of them can be here. And I did leave one off. And I know he would rather I didn't say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. We, we got something new this year and that we had an elective that we needed to do in high school. And uh, Phil Gernovich, our secondary principal, went to Pastor Jason and asked him if he would teach a class on leadership. So he is actually teaching in our high school. So it's, that's really cool. It's really, really neat to be able to see that connection. And, uh, but I wanted you to be able to see there are some of these people you know. Some of them do attend here. Many of them attend other places. That's not a requirement to be a part of this school. What is required is a calling to serve God and to love kids. And that's what these people have done. And I'm going to ask Pastor Jack to come, but as he's coming up and I want him to pray for us, if you're involved with education, I don't care if you're a teacher, you're an aide, you're working in the office, your administration, would you please stand as well right where you're at? We want to pray for all educators this morning. Because, yeah, please stand. And, um, and then I want to ask those of you that are seated, give time for those educators to stand, those that are there, all right, so you can see, you can look around. If you would take a minute, and I want you to get up out of your seat, and I want you to go lay a hand on somebody, whether it's one of the staff up here or one that's one of those that's around you, because we don't do this together. And uh, it's very easy. We live in a society where everything is geared towards, you know, bigger, better, faster, quicker, all that kind of stuff, the way technology and it comes back to there's nothing that can, that can take the place of a good face-to-face. -face. There's nothing that can, that can, no technology. You can have all the meetings you want over technology, but there's something about that face-to-face, one-on-one. So would you stand with me? See those that are around, and as pastor is going to pray for us in closing this morning for all educators. Pastor. So I'll give you just a moment, and some of you may want to come down and Make sure everybody has someone who's connecting to them. That'd be great. Okay, keep looking. Does everybody have somebody? There we go. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the compassion, 
and the passion and the drive in those who have stood, whether it is in a public school or a private school. Thank you for the skill that you've given them. We ask that by your divine power that you'll increase their ability, that you will give them insight into the lives of those students they deal with daily, that you will help them see as you see. They'll hear with, with a sensitivity that they've not had previously. That they'll be able to look into the heart of a, of a student and see what's, what's transpiring deep down inside. That you'll give them the creativity to, to bring understanding and, and to, to bring a, a teaching that will, will attract and draw. That you will transform these who have stood so they may help transform those they teach and those they lead. We ask that you will protect them. That in those moments that things can be in, intense and things may seem like they're out of control, I ask that you will give them the ability to bring peace to wherever they are. And that you will remove from them discouragement. And that you will provide for them every resource they need at times when, when the money doesn't seem to be there for them personally or even for their classroom, that you will supply whatever is needed. And they will be able to see transformation taking place. We pray that, that the very presence of God in them will create a presence wherever they are on that campus and it will attract students to you and to those who have compassion. So we seal them, all of those who have stood, we seal them for the destiny you've called them to and, and for the calling to be completed in their lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.